Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by Will Schroeder, my friend, the CEO and founder of startups.com. Will, as founders, there's this sense that we have to fake a lot of stuff as we are starting our startup and nothing feels very real. So at those early stages, like what about our startup is real? Nothing. <laughs> it's all fake. I mean, yeah. like by definition, we made Fair. this thing up five seconds ago. Why would anything be real? But, you know, we're super hung up on this idea that that we're not the real deal. We're not the real CEO. The product isn't real yet. All these things aren't, you know, in our mind, what real will be someday. And that's that's exactly what we do. We create fake shit long enough for it to become real. <laughs> that's the business we're in. Exactly. So I think it'd be it. worth talking about today. Like, like, like how much of what we do in the early stages is actually fake and is it okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing now uh, a, an autotype feature, autocorrect feature in, in PowerPoint that takes out anything that's not true and how much would be left in any given pitch deck. It'd be a really, really short read, right? Yeah. Oh, man. It was the, uh, the Jim Carrey Liar Liar movie. <laughs> Right, we're, we're, we're one, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, he could only say things that were true. Only say things that were true. It'd be the shortest startup pitch ever. My name is, and yeah. that's all I've got, folks. <laughs> right, that's it. That's all I can tell you. Oh man. So, well, let's 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 talk about it. I mean, at, at the beginning stages, like like you said, I mean, jokingly, but also seriously, sort of nothing's true, right? It, we're, what we're doing is setting out conditions and things that we would like to be true in some some future state, and so essentially everything's fake. And I think we're taking the stance that that's okay, right? I think we'll give it one caveat. And I think I'd like to hear your thoughts on this is it's okay if it's fake, if what we deliver is real. If sure. we have a sham website and we're collecting credit cards and not sending stuff to people, that's not okay. <laughs> Let's yeah, just be yeah. clear. There's a difference between uh, you know faking something till you make it and grand larceny. Yeah, exactly. We're just there are no soul together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you an example. All right, so before we get into this next topic, I just want to let you know, what we talk about here is like 1% of the conversation. You know, really, this conversation is going on all day long online at groups.startups.com, where Ryan and I pretty much talk endlessly with founders about every one of these topics. So if by the end of this discussion, you like the topic and you want to dig into it a little bit more with Ryan and I, just head to groups.startups.com and we'll pick it up from there. When I first started my first company, my <laughs> this is such a funny connection. My roommates, girlfriends, fathers, church parish had a guy in it. There's no way you're going to follow this. That's straight out of Spaceballs, man. They, right, exactly. That's, that's the line straight out of Spaceballs. He <laughs> had a guy in it who was the uh, the CMO for AAA. And this is like circa 1993, 1994. And uh, I just started one of the first web design companies. So anyway, it turned out that he had just heard of the internet, which was a thing back then. And he had asked if anybody had ever also heard of the internet. And it got back to me, who <laughs> I was at the time the only person in the world that had heard of the internet. I know a guy who's heard of the internet. His name's Will. Let me introduce you. Well, I mean, just to put it in context, guys, at this point, the CMO of AAA's big win was probably naming the company AAA. And we're like, we're going to be on the first page of the yellow pages every time. Job done, right? I'm, I'll just call me, call me when we're rich. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so... My roommate comes to me and says, hey, good news. I've got this one client that might be interested in whatever it is that you do because no one at the time knew what I did. <laughs> and uh, if, if, 
if you want, I can set up a meeting. So we get on the phone. This guy wants to set up a meeting and then he finishes the meeting by, or the, the phone conversation by saying, great, when can we stop by your office? Like, oh, as soon as I construct it from refrigerator boxes. Uh, let exactly. me I'll call you back. Yeah. And so I said to him, I just said, hey, next week would be great. And I just assumed <laughs> sometime between now and then, we would just come up with some way to meet at his office. But he was adamant. Not really sure why at the time. Never figured this out. But he was adamant. Probably a hygiene factor thing, right? Wanted to see like this. I'm not sure this internet thing exists. It's unbelievable. Let's go. Let's go and get some validation that this company exists would be my guess at that point. I hadn't thought that far ahead. So I had about seven days to create what needed to be an actual office with an actual <laughs> staff with an actual company. Like we complained about how long it takes us to set up a Squarespace site. Imagine having to set up an entire company physically. In seven days. And without an Ikea in range at that point, right? There was no <laughs> Ikea. That was we leveled impossible. up. So we end up going down the street because I didn't own a car. So I hopped on my rollerblades, rollerbladed down the street and high street and Ohio State campus and rented this old hippie clothing store that was completely demolished. That was over the Newport Music Hall, the concert venue. Smelled to all hell. The guy that rented from, I rented it from was a total slumlord, quite literally went to jail for it later on. <laughs> It was not a great setup. Let's put it that way. He owned property next to my house uh, on South Campus. Oh, my God. And so, so anyway, so I, I've got this shell of an office. And we decide that we're going to basically build out desks because we couldn't afford them. And we had ones of hundreds of dollars to put toward this initiative. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to let it stretch. And so we end up going to this place at OSU, OSU Surplus, where all like the furniture in the university system goes to die. Again, put it into context. This is no longer good enough for whatever the department on the outs is in a state-funded school. Of 50,000 students, right? I mean, so this like, is super nice stuff that yeah. you're talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we roll man. into this place and, uh, and I talked to the like, intern kid who's sitting there and I said, you know, what do you have for sale? And it's basically like anything if, you know, it's, it's, it's yours if you want it. And again, this stuff was beyond its prime. So we found a pile of computers. Uh, these were like terminals. They weren't even computers, <laughs> yeah, right? Non-functional, yep. We found a, a pile of terminals. We found a pile of fax machines, because back then people had fax machines. And we found a, a pile of desks. But these were desks that generally had three or less legs. And so I go to the... Uh, to With enough gum stuck to the underside to construct a new leg, though. You know, yeah, you, exactly. You had options. I go to the intern kid. I'm like, listen, I need all of that. And his question was, why? Why? And I just said, don't worry about it. <laughs> and I wrote, well, this is the best part. I wrote what would become our first company check for $14. 14 bucks. Right? He actually rung it up. Yeah, you know, he rung it up. That, that was the, the market price of all this junk that we were bringing with us. Even at what I have to presume was minimum wage or maybe even something less than that for some sort of work-study program that this kid was on, it cost them more to sell you that stuff than they made off of it. And if I'm being honest, there was a split second where I ran the math and I said, <laughs> well, can we still afford this? Can we afford this? <laughs> this is 14% of our budget going to office furnishings. This is not what we specified in the business plan. We load everything up into this really raggedy pickup that my friend had. 
and uh, and we drive it back to the office. And we just basically prop all this stuff up around, I mean, it's a clothing store, but that was our office. It had a loft and everything. It kind of looked cool, but it was completely disaster. But we made it look like an office. This is the equivalent of building a landing page website, but actually doing it in the real. Yes. <laughs> and so the one day when the client's going to show up, I ask all of my friends to bring the one tie that they own, their one clip-on, and just walk around looking busy. And so when the client shows up, it looked like a Hollywood movie set. Everyone's it was running a Hollywood around, movie set at that point. busy, right? Like, oh, and man. It was hilarious because like, when you watch a TV show that has uh, you know, uh, some office scene, do you ever notice people are all walking around? Because the reality of everybody just sitting at their desks, like typing messages or looking at- Does not at make Facebook, for good TV. Yeah, not <laughs> does at all. not make for it. So when they walked in, they saw the Hollywood equivalent of what an office would be like. And it was humming with people. Everyone was busy. Now, none of my friends had ever had real jobs, so they didn't know what to say or do exactly. <laughs> but I just yep. walked the AAA team like around like the different stations and people were typing at computers that didn't even work. It was just like a blinking screen. So they assumed they were coding or something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this amazing. internet is so mysterious. Right. And so we end up bringing the client back to the only computer that worked, which was this <laughs> laptop that I'd bought two days prior with all the money we had left. And I showed them like the very, very early stages of what the internet could be and what we could do. Now, all that was legit. But like when my roommate would run up to me and like, Will, what do you think of this? And it was like this term paper. And I looked at it, I was like, run with it. You know, it like, you <laughs> literally run moments. away with it before they get yeah, a look exactly, at it. Exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, it worked. And, and, and we got the client. Now, I say all that, it's a long story, to point out that we had to create that cover just to simply get a company to understand that we could do the work. We also looked like we were 12. Right, like we look Doesn't like the Keebler elves in there. Right, it was, <laughs> we did not look like a buttoned-up organization. You were and not. So we needed that cover to to kind of overlook the fact that we actually knew what we were doing, or at least I did. My rest of my, <laughs> my friends had no idea what they were doing. But the, the reality is, we were going to deliver the product, but we had to fake our existence to do it. Now that's an extreme case, right? That's like actually something out of a movie. But it happened and it worked. And I wasn't proud of it at the time. But now when I look back, I realize it's what you got to do. You, you know what I mean? You did what you had to do to, to bear the burden of proof that, you know, you didn't have a better way of showing than that, right? That was how they decided to evaluate you. The reality was there were a lot of other ways they could have evaluated whether you could do the work, but they weren't prepared for any of those. They had no idea. This was something so new and so different. And hey, that's most startups, right? We're trying to do something that hasn't been done before, or at least something that's been done before in a way that hasn't been done. And so we don't have a good way to demonstrate that. We don't have a way for them to query us and say, we believe you can do this, right? They want some reassurance. And in this case, it was, uh, you know, a bunch of college kids running around as, as extras on your, your movie set for your office. <laughs> and it brings back, it brings back a memory of building not our very first site for the agency, but one of the early sites where we decided we needed to have pictures of, of some of the, the team on the website. And we decided we needed to go full pro. We were going after mostly corporate clients. And so when, when you looked at like their materials, they were all like, people in business dress, business suits. And uh, I was the only one that owned a business suit. The first realization that we came to is, well, we could all just wear the same one. So we, we started to do that. You look like a boy band. 
we we would have <laughs> right so we shoot we shot me first and it fit fine we go to the second one well the, the pants were like ridiculously oversized and too long right and then for the third guy who was way taller than i was they were so we just we had to go to like just wasting up shots then as we constructed the page we realized we had to write more copy for each of the bios to make the pages longer so that you couldn't see all three of us on the page at the same time because we were all wearing the same damn clothes <laughs> so it's like you know these things that we go through to make ourselves look legit early as a startup company can often feel ridiculous because they are. But again, like nothing wrong with that, right? We were just trying to show what they needed to see to feel comfortable so that we could go and provide the value that we knew we could provide, right? We knew we couldn't look like a, a, a buttoned up corporate company because we weren't. That's what they needed to see. But we knew we could build outstanding products for them. And that was all we cared about. So I think to your early, early point in this discussion, as long as the intent to do good is there, right? We're not, you know, we're not trying to commit larceny here. We're not trying to take people's money or convince them of something that we can't do. But optically, sometimes we have to look a bit different than what we are to be able to get to that point where we can actually provide that value. I also think, and this is the hard part, we have to feel comfortable being that version <laughs> yeah. of the company. Which is hard because first off, no one talks about this stuff. You know, sure, my my story might be funny now. I wasn't talking about it in meetings, you know, when I was pitching the company six months after that. Right? That was that was on the DL. And, and again, you hear one-off stories like this, and it sounds great because it works or worked. But I think, by and large, there's no apparatus to be able to say, "Wait a minute, this company isn't what they say it is. It's this, this, and this." Yeah. So, but here, here's an example, the modern day example, I would say, of my fake office. It's my fake website, right? I mean, it's kind of everybody's first step into being their fake identity, fake company is their fake website. Still just as harrowing, still just as potentially embarrassing and still costs about 14 bucks. <laughs> On the high end. And so I think what happens is, you know, you and I are starting a business. It's our first time at it. The first mistake we make is comparing everything that we're doing in the stage that we're in to a mature company. Yeah, yeah. It's just not the same. Yeah, why would it be? I don't think we have the confidence, you know, again, being the first timers, to understand that it's okay. That actually, this is the first version. So, so here's what, what we end up getting into and what holds us up. First is we say, we're not going to launch it because we don't have the product in a certain way or we don't have the collateral a certain way or whatever. So we end up doing nothing, which I think is the biggest mistake. Yeah, I mean, we have to start somewhere, right? We have to be reasonable about you know where we are and and what that's going to allow us to do. So I think just to compound that mistake, you know, the, the story that you told early was was great, and it illustrates sometimes there's this need for optics that don't necessarily match the situation, such that we can pass that boss. I think the problem becomes when we start to believe in the need for those optics. I think it was fine that you did that so that the client would say, these guys look buttoned up. We can move forward. Sign the check, Johnson, right? Right. Whatever the hell happens. <laughs> in, in the case where all of a sudden we start to believe in those optics and that we actually need to live up to those before we can move forward or be legit, this is a huge issue. Right. Because this is, this is why we stay on the lab bench forever. This is why we, we never push the marketing out. This is why we never tell anybody other than our close circle of friends 
in the basement of our parents' home what we're building, right? These are all super, super problematic, right? To the extent that this gets in your way and keeps you from starting, really bad, right? Again, don't go commit crimes. Don't lie about what you can do. But sometimes you need to, you need to take a little bit of a leap of faith, again, with full faith that you're actually going to be able to accomplish what you set out to do. Then you're totally fine. You know, by the way, I just want to mention if what we're talking about today sounds like the kind of discussion you wish you were having more often, you actually can. You know, we're online all day, every day, working through exactly these types of topics with founders just like you. So any question you would have or maybe some problem you just want to work through, we're here and we love this stuff. And we're easy to find. You know, head over to groups.startups.com and let's just start talking. We get hung up on things again. We're using the website as kind of a, a proxy to talk about our corporate identity, to talk about the, the readiness of our product. Yesteryear's business card. Yesteryear's business card. Man. I remember when like that was the first thing. Like, all right, new business concept. And they're like, you want to see the business card? We've already got it done. I'm like, what's the business to? Do you want to see the business card? <laughs> right, right. I, I only buy from companies that have refined logos. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> this company changed its logo. Now I buy from them all the time. That changes exactly. all my buying behavior. That's what killed service merchandise. It was the logo. Yeah. As soon as you kill the logo, the whole, whole business is over. Forget about the product. <laughs> and so I think that from a, uh, from a customer standpoint, you look at a website, and yes, if it is horrible, it, and I just mean dog shit horrible, you're probably going to think twice about buying. But I would argue you st should still launch the website because sure, some people are going to see it and they're going to say, hey, that's horrible. Some percentage... But you know how many people are not going to buy from you if you don't launch it at all? 100% of people will not buy from you. We've got this idea too, that when we launch into the market, every single person that matters, and define that however you will, will have seen it instantly, will have really thought about it heavily, and have made a lasting forever impression. And so we can't possibly launch this, this website unless it's as, as credible as possible and as refined as possible. Right now, we're working off of Google version 20,000. <laughs> Every product goes through an insane amount of iterations until it becomes a product that's better known. In the early days, it's all shit. And that's okay. And that's okay. Yes, that's okay. Let's say it again. That's right. okay. And that's okay. Right. You got to start somewhere. Right. I also think that, that we've got this complex that in the early days, I'm taking care of everything. Now, I guess I'm the CEO, CEO or I'm the CFO and I'm the <laughs> director of customer service and I'm, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> if you can, you should be doing all that stuff. I also think that's where you learn everything. And I just want to build on that for a second. The greatest experience that I got as a founder was taking genuine pride and interest in doing every job. So in the early days, and Ryan, I knew you were in the same boat. In, in the early days, I learned how to do design. I remember Photoshop 2.0, and I learned how that worked. I learned development, you know, early days of HTML 1.0. It's like 40 commands. Yep. I was using all kinds of Adobe suite when it was still the Macromedia suite, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and I learned a sales process. I learned, I, I learned finance way too late. So I, uh, but that wound up being one of the most important things I learned. But my point is, Instead of folks going, well, you know, we should have this full staff and it can't be me doing everything. Yes, from a bandwidth standpoint, that, that is true. But I think that we shouldn't be, be concerned 
that we're doing all these jobs. We should take pride in all these jobs. In fact, I would argue there's never a better time to be engaged in all those disciplines than when you're first starting out. So as the organization grows, you know what the hell everybody does. Have some some baseline for what does it take? How does it work now? Does that mean that you will always and forever be the one who knows how to do it best? Not at all, right? You, you may be mediocre or even horrible at some of these things, but it takes doing them to come to that understanding and to understand whether the person that you bring in after that is an improvement or not. This comes up most often in discussions with founders around the sales process. Everybody seems to be looking for a way to start selling without actually selling themselves. And not everybody, but the, the folks I'm talking to when they're, they're just like, they're trying to build a sales organization. Okay, well, what does it take to sell now? Don't know. We haven't tried yet. Like, all right. Well, then we, that, that would be step one, right? Like we just, well, I, I'm thinking maybe just to go, you know, hire a director of sales. To direct what? You just told me you don't have any sales. Like, well, they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll make the sales. Like, probably not. Uh, maybe. Uh, and what will you compare that to? How, you know, if they're doing well? Yeah. So to your point, like early stage, it's great to do everything, right? Now you want to work yourselves out of those jobs as quickly as you can, but not sooner, right? And I think it is very, very valuable to have those experiences, again, such that you have a baseline, you know what this takes, and, and you just get a sense for all those moving parts. Because the other thing, and I think this goes, goes by the wayside sometimes, when you don't understand those roles and you do have like good practitioners even in those roles, you can still end up with this very siloed organization because salesperson's worried about sales, marketing guys worried about marketing, ops is worried about ops, finance is worried about finance. But if you did all those things originally, then you understand how they play together as an organization and you become that connective tissue as the founder who makes those things work well together, not just work well in a vacuum. And I think that if you haven't done them, that's extremely hard to pull off. You know, one of the things that happens too is I think we, we want to project this idea that there were a big company with an org chart. For some reason, we're also enamored with this idea of creating an org chart and hierarchy and everything else like that. Business card, org chart. Those are the, you know, the first two things we have to build out, right? Well, because you got to know, you got to know everybody's title so you can put them on their business cards. Right. I don't know. And, and so we get this thing where <laughs> oh, uh, I need to, to label everybody with a C-level title. Everybody needs to be the VP of this. Again, we need to have hierarchies. And, and that's what a real company does. You know what that happens? A real company does that as they start to fast forward their dysfunction. All those layers create more dysfunction. And so the last thing in our minds should be how many layers and how deep can the org chart get? Hell, to this day, we've got 200 people. And what is our org chart? Two, maybe three layers deep? Mm, yeah, max. I mean, yeah, I was trying to imagine what the third one looked like. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think on one particular part of the business, we can go to three layers. Yeah, and that's, and that's out of necessity, right? <laughs> and so I guess my point is, instead of feeling like, oh, we can't project ourselves as this big company with all these layers, et cetera, we should look at it a bit different, saying we actually don't want to do that. If I'm answering customer support, sure, at some point, I don't have the bandwidth to do that, but I need to know how this works. I need to know front lines, every single email that's coming across. When I was talking to uh, Andrew Gazdecki of MicroAcquire, uh, he, he at one point, not too long ago, actually, he was answering all the customer support emails. And he had an interesting take on it. He said, look, you know, we're about to raise a round and I won't be doing this anymore, but I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about becoming disconnected from that part of the business, as he should be, as we all should be. So again, instead of us trying to like fake it to look big, 
we should also say, okay, sure, we might have to like look a little bit bigger for this account or for this type of uh, marketing image, but we shouldn't translate that into let's also try to run around to create as much hierarchy and dysfunction as possible to try to kind of like present that image. It just, it doesn't work. Again, I think it goes back to, are you doing this for, for the look? Are you doing this for the optics externally? Are you doing this out of some misguided need to do it internally? And do you believe in it? And said differently, do the people that you, you've bestowed these titles on believe this now? Because that can have a lasting impact in the organization. Most recently, talking to a founder who's in a situation now, in not an uncommon one, where they couldn't afford development. And so they decided to go the technical co-founder route. Right? They were like, well, I can't afford to pay a developer. I'll find someone who's willing to work for free and make that person our CTO. Right. Well, they're two years into this business now and they're struggling because the optics of this were this person's a co-founder and a CTO. And now they need to hire some people who are actually significantly more qualified than this individual. It's always. Yeah, absolutely. Who will have to report to this individual. Right. Right. It's always a joke. This is where the, the optics become, you know, a, a reality and a very, very bad one. And, and it's causing all kinds of trouble within the company now. So I think that in addition to, the fact that you don't really need this for all the reasons that you've just defined, you, you might need to not do this for some of these other down the road scenarios whereby we've now monikered people in ways that lead to very specific expectations and create massive roadblocks in growing the company. Right. I agree. And I think another thing we try to do with, again, this kind of like fake entitlement, if you will, is create this sense of fake credibility. You know, we want everyone to believe that we're this credible company. Look, credible is, is directly tied to our ability to deliver. That's what makes us a credible company. Now, while we believe and understand that, our challenge is we need the rest of the world to see that we're credible. So once again, what we do is we say to ourselves, well, Ryan, you and I aren't credible. We just started this company. We've never been CEOs of a company before. Like, How could we possibly be credible? Guess what, dude? No one's ever been a CEO of a company before until they start one and they do the job. <laughs> there's, a, there's no CEO boot camp that we all go through before starting a company. And those that actually went the corporate ladder and made it to a CEO probably aren't starting companies. Right? So you, you really got to consider the fact that we're all starting from zero. right? Like None of us gets automatic conferred credibility. We got to buy it from scratch, build it from scratch rather. That's right. Yeah. And again, I think we have to be careful how much of that we buy into as, as the founder, right? So there is a point at which we, we have to do some of these things, right? We need to be able to be credible enough. But to your point, like credibility comes through delivery, right? I think, and we probably have a slightly different view of this as startup founders who've done this a number of times and work with thousands and thousands of other founders who do this over and over and over again. So we may be a little more flexible than the, than the average human walking around there in terms of how we would assess credibility, right? Can you, can you, you know, give off zero credibility, right? Like we don't have a website, but we promise we can do this. We don't have backgrounds that indicate that we've ever had any experience in this, but we can do this, right? Like, yeah, there are some hygiene factors that need to be checked off there, but do you need to have the, you know, the, the fully polished uh, and fully functioning website product sales team? Do you need to have the, you know, the mild deep org chart and all of that stuff? No, right? You are absolutely, uh, to, to pull a meme out of a decade ago, jumping the shark at that point. You've gone way too far in terms of trying to build credibility, fake credibility. And I think that becomes a real problem. You know, well, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I 
definitely encountered companies who seem to be spending more time on the optics of their credibility than actually becoming a credible company. And I don't think it's out of, but I don't think it's out of like, it's not out of malfeasance, right? They're not saying like, Hey, let's just put up this, this, this front and, 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 you know, run this farcical company. They're not doing that intentionally. They just get so caught up in the credibility and optics game that they start to find ways to feed that specifically instead of looking for ways to make some of that shit true. Right. I think that becomes a real, real toxic situation within the company. I think where we've seen people change what credibility used to be, credibility used to be your your name at the top of a tall skyscraper, right? That was credibility, right? Yep. I think credibility has been changed into authenticity. People want something to be authentic. So they're actually more interested in what you're saying in your blog or your your Twitter, et cetera. And, and how they feel about you specifically, your voice, right? More so than how big is your company? I think that's changed. It's changed for the better. And it's certainly swayed heavily into startups' favor. So if I were doing things again in my early start uh, web design company days, I would have been more authentic. I, I would have said, look, we have four people that are working here. We're working for next to nothing. But this, this is all we think about. We're thinking about this nonstop. This is our, our future. We're putting everything on the line for this. And we're going to work nonstop for you. Back then, it wouldn't have worked. I'll be honest. That was still back yeah. in the days of you had to have a sweet business card, right? I was going to say, man, you would have been too far ahead of the curve on that one. I think anybody was ready for that yet. People's buying behaviors have changed. People want to know who the company is. You know, A great example is this podcast. I would say more people buy our products, like our founder group products or anything else like that, based on the fact that they've gotten to know us, than anything that we've done that's created any kind of credibility. Like we reference our company size from time to time. So people have some idea that, you know, we've been around a while and we're a good sized company. But beyond that, you know, it, it's it's really, I would say this podcast and, and really, you know, the, the writings we get out there, et cetera, our authenticity has created a thousand times more credibility than really anything else we've done. Right by orders of magnitude. By orders of magnitude. Yes. And again, like it's 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 the peak behind the curtain, right? People want to know who the actual wizard behind the Wizard of Oz is, right? And they're not surprised by that anymore. They don't care about that. They they care about knowing who that is, right? They would rather understand the reality than feel like they've been fooled by the optics. I, I was just relieved when you said uh, because of, and instead of, in spite of getting to know us via the podcast <laughs> in terms of people engaging with us <laughs> beyond this, because uh, I think that that does take a little bit of a leap of faith uh, in some cases. But yeah, you know, I think that, you know, you're, you're spot on. Be- behaviors have certainly changed. You know, just none of this would have been possible without the internet, by the way, right? Like it's, it's that access at scale to so many people to be able to kind of get that glimpse behind the curtain and understand who you are as an individual to give us these medium for sharing these, these various aspects of who we are as a person, what we're trying to accomplish as a company, the experiences we've had, how we feel about certain things, and letting people attach to companies or founders and products in totally different ways, which is, is, is super exciting. And that is all about the truth, right? So while you're out there faking it until you make it, remind yourself that this is just a little bit of padding around the truth that we're trying to create and that that needs to be the goal, right? So fake it till you make it, but make it as quick as you can, right? Like get to that point where you're feeling good about some of these things for your own sake. And I think it'd be far better off. I think that credibility comes to Ryan from 
one tiny morsel at a time. 100%. <laughs> you know, we keep thinking, well, we'll we'll land a huge funding round and that'll be our credibility or you know, we'll we'll launch this big product and that'll be credibility. That's actually just not how it works. How we've seen it time and time again is you've got this product, you deliver it to one person and it's like your uncle or somebody, right? But a couple people hear about it and they say, hey, that's interesting. Can I learn more? You get your newsletter out there and you have like a hundred subscribers, not a ton, but a couple people forward it. And now you got a couple more. Credibility comes one person at a time. It's not something that you get in mass. It doesn't come overnight. And it's something you truly earn. It's something that you have to earn person by person. All of the people over the years that we've built as followers, as customers, et cetera, we didn't earn all their trust at once. It took a long time. Dude, we've been at this for 10 years, right? We're still doing it. Everything that we've learned about the, the conversion of faking it till you make it has been a long and steady process that, again, is one person at a time and it's one delivery at a time. And that's really the difference where we go from faking it to finally making it. All right, so that was fun. But let's actually keep this conversation going. You've heard what we think about this, but you know, Ryan and I would really like to hear what you think. And we're online like all day long, pretty much talking about every startup topic you could think of from fundraising to customer acquisition to just really how to get all of this crazy startup stuff out of your head. And there's tons of other founders just like you. They're weighing in on these topics. So you'll get a chance to just hang out and meet some really smart founders. We're also super, super easy to find. You head over to groups.startups.com and let Ryan and I hear what's on your mind. Let's get to know each other a little bit and let's just start having more of these conversations.